Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Wendy, I'm hearing you through a tin can today. <laughs> yes, you are, because I am in a remote location, Mike. Are there any ghosts at the remote location? Well, uh, there might be. I don't know. I haven't seen any yet, but um, I'm on the lookout. And actually, I went to some pretty spooky places on the way here. <laughs> so where'd you go on the way there? On the way here? Okay, well, here, first of all, is I'm outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Way out in the country. It's beautiful. It's very, very hot. Feels like an oven outside. So far out that we have to talk on phone lines. I know. Which is compl- it, it, is, it is like talking to somebody. I, I don't remember this, but I feel like we're talking to each other and that you have like a beans can and we are talking through a string and I'm speaking into a can of beans. A really long string, you know, yeah, several hundred like miles. A thousand mile string. <laughs> so, yeah. so where'd you go on the way there when you got to Knoxville, Tennessee? Where, where were you going? Well, uh, we drove through central Illinois. So as you know, Mike, you can go directly south of Madison and you can go all the way through Illinois yeah. to get over this way. <laughs> so we went in on our way through central Illinois. We made a couple stops at uh, a a cemetery that's got some folklore related to high strangeness. Very, very weird. And also, uh, we visited a gravesite of a young girl, sadly passed away of diphtheria in 1890. But I had to visit her gravesite because the monument there is beautiful stone statue of a little girl holding a violin. And as you know, the oh, violin is... you hold the violin sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did a couple of little... EVP sessions there and even played a little song on my violin at the gravesite. So I have to review that and see if anything comes up. But then also on our way to Nashville, we stopped at the infamous Bell Witch Cave. And how was that? Was it what you expected? It was actually a lot cooler than I expected. Okay. You can do the cabin tour and the cave tour. And we only did the cave tour, but the cave was awesome. I did not expect it to be as deep as it went. (laughs) You really got in there and you went back and uh, it's just this cave that's been used, you know, by humans for who knows how many years, you know, thousands of years, I guess. And there's signs of that in there. They found graves in there. And and then, of course, is the story of the Bell Witch who sang and talked and gave her different various prophecies. I guess most of that happened in the cabin, but they did uh, hear her voice in the cave as well. So did you hear the voice in the cave? Did the Bell Witch call to you, Wendy? I didn't hear the voice, I don't think, but I got some pictures of where there's, there are some optical illusions that appear as some ghastly creatures oh. in the cave with us. So yeah, so good time. Well, that sounds like fun. It's been great. Mike, one more quick thing. I also coincidentally went through the town of uh, our newest Patreon member and I got to have lunch with her. So, oh my God! So you, yeah. you you're hanging out with our patrons, Wendy. Yes. So thanks, Chelsea, for meeting up with us for lunch. It was great, and it was really fun. We shared stories about the local area there. She knew a lot of things. She had a book that she brought along that had some uh, information about some of the sites that we were thinking of visiting, and so it was really a good time. Well, that does sound like fun. And yes. visiting patrons, seeing the Bell Witch Cave for the first time. <laughs> 
uh, going through playing violin next to a haunted statue in the middle of Illinois. Well, that's a paranormal adventure in itself. Yeah. But Mike, I heard that you did some paranormal uh, fun over the holiday weekend as well. Well, uh, a little bit in the Wisconsin Dells, which is our, our local tourist trap. And so Allison and I went, Allison, my sister, and, and uh, another CEO on the other side, contributor who's often part of the interviews and stuff here. She and I went to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in the Wisconsin oh, Dells. Awesome. And there was a book signing event by one of the former uh, guests we've had on the show, Chad Lewis. Oh, and great. He, he released a book on the haunted Wisconsin Dells and Baraboo area. Baraboo's where the Ringling and Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus was based for a long time. Yeah. There's phantom elephants in Baraboo that people... I mean, the elephants are not native to Wisconsin. <laughs> no, they're not. Obviously. <laughs> no, they're not. But people saw not just regular elephants and stuff, because there used to be regular elephants in Baraboo because the circus came there. Right. They would see the ghosts of the elephants. So and cool. One woman actually has a story about the ghost rampaging uh, through her yard, and, and the, the ghost of the elephant destroyed her sh- Oh, my gosh. And that's a story from the early 20th century. And then she really? says there's evidence of the, yeah, of the phantom elephants of Baraboo. Uh, destructive. See that, but They're destructive ghosts. It was fun, and we did get a chance. The Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum itself, we talked to the manager, and that that place has several haunted stories. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. And Chad talks about that in his book. And so then we went through the areas and, and tried to get some activity happening. We brought out the EMF meter and everything and Fun. didn't quite get the activity we were hoping for, but there was a lot of little kids running around and things like that. So... Uh, wow. didn't have a chance. The most fun room is the, the dark side of Ripley's and you have to actually sneak under. You have to, it's in a hidden place uh, that you have to sneak in to get there. Uh, cool. And they have a mummified okay. head of a serial killer. Not open to the public then? Well, it is open Ooh. to the public, but you have to like sneak. Up. It's like a it's like a hidden area. There's no signs to it or anything in the like the Vlad Tepe's room. They have like a Vlad the Impaler <laughs> oh, room. Cool. They have a fireplace. And if you go under the fireplace, there is a staircase, and up to the staircase is an area that has some more gross stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I have never been to that one in the Dells, but I've been to the one in San Francisco, and I thought the museum was awesome. Yeah, it, it is It is a pretty cool place, and the fact that the, even the manager was like, yeah, we definitely have haunted stories here, wow. and was going into it, and he was willing to tell Chad that for his book, and then willing to share it with us, uh, was a lot of fun. The, the thing is, is that the mummified, some people think that the actual mummified head of the serial killer, uh, Peter Curtin, the Dusseldorf vampire, who was executed in like 1931, and scientists preserved his head uh, because they thought that this guy was such a sicko, there was no way he could have a normal brain. So for research purposes. So they perversed his head, cut it in half, and they studied his brain, and then that head. And it's, the head's even got the mustache and everything still on it. Creepy. So it's, yeah, it's pretty grody. <laughs> um, but they think that, uh, you know, sometimes if you say something to the head or you disturb it or whatever, it'll like move things in that dark side room. That's so, exciting. Yeah. And I was, you know, I, I didn't actually talk back to the head. I didn't feel like <laughs> causing any disturbances. That's fair. In that particular room. But so that was a lot of fun. And then uh, Allison went down and was collecting some haunted stories from the various places on the street. And she got a few and will eventually... Great. Uh, we will talk about those in, in perhaps a tour of the Wisconsin Dells at a later date. So, Oh, man, that's awesome. 
If you're interested in visiting our own Wisconsin tourist trap, the Wisconsin, which is a lot of fun, there's water parks and all those kind of things, then uh, we're going to have some spooky stuff for you in the near future. So it was, it was a little, par- we both had some paranormal adventures over the holiday weekend, nice long weekend. And today yes. we're talking to you, this is the Tuesday after Labor Day, September 4th. And the episode this time is something we haven't broached yet, a topic we haven't attacked yet in the past 210 episodes, and that's faith healing. Now, uh, Wendy, what do you know? Have you ever been to a faith healer yourself? Uh, I can't say I have, actually. No, either have I. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think of that is that movie with Steve Martin. Yes, Leap of Faith. (laughs) Meatloaf is in it, too. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. I mean, just purely based on the terms, of course, the term faith healing, it just reminded me of that movie because it's a great movie. Yes. I remember seeing that movie in your neck of the woods, Wendy. Way on the north side of Milwaukee. I saw it when it came out. My parents had preview tickets to the movie Chaplin, and I couldn't get in because they only had two tickets. So they went to go see the movie Chaplin, and I went to go see Leap of Faith because I love Steve Martin. So I remember that very well. They sent you off to a different one. Right. They sent me off to the different room, which was with Steve Martin, which was okay, and Meatloaf. Um, yeah. But I thought of that, too, when we talked to the guest today, Josh Tongle. And Josh is part of a whole different culture, uh, this you know this Filipino cult, like Christian culture that he was talking about that he was raised in, that and we we get into this into the interview where they believe that these miracles can happen, cool. that people can be healed by faith, mm-hmm. and I think it's an interesting thing, and I obviously think that people can take advantage of other people with this <laughs> with this kind of thing fairly quickly. You know, the more money you give, uh, the <laughs> right. better the chance that Jesus that Jesus will heal you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. You know, I remember in college, I was a psych major in college 100 years ago, and and even 100 (laughs) years ago, we would talk about, like, kids would play these video games where they would fight their cancer cells, Mm -hmm. and they would run these experiments, and this seems kind of like, who wants to be part of the control group that's not, you know, (sighs) thinking and fighting your cancer cells? That's kind of depresses me, uh, that there were kids that who didn't get to be part of the control group. Um, who didn't get to be part of the, the video game thing. But the attitude they had, the, the, the using their brain or whatever, or imagining fighting the cancer cells, led to um, they would have a greater remission rate. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so it's still not causation equals correlation kind of thing, because we're talking about psychology, and there's so many factors in psychology, right. the, the types of cancer and everything. But the fact is that they did seem to have some correlation between this idea of the kids fighting and defeating the cancer cells in their brain and the game they were playing and all that, and then some kind of higher rate of remission in the cancer. And I always found that fascinating. And as, as a lesson, as you got to be as positive and faithful. You got to believe as much as you can. And it seems like the most important situation of, I mean, I don't know about the faith and I don't know about Jesus healing you and stuff like that, but it seems like the most important place to fake it till you make it is sickness. And so that's kind of the, the context I'm looking at when I talk to Josh and because he's got a very spiritual approach to it. And he's not a Christian anymore. Uh, but he still is a very spiritual person that believes something out there is healing people and that he might have the power to heal himself. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear this, Mike. Let's talk to Josh. We're here with Josh Tongle, all the way from Manila in the Philippines. Yeah. What time? Okay, so it's <laughs> one o'clock here in Madison, Wisconsin. What time is it there in the Philippines? 
oh, it's only uh, two or three in the morning. <laughs> All right. So it's just getting to be bar time. Where are you? Okay. And is it still hot in the middle of the night in August in the Philippines? Yeah, it's, it's really hot, especially because I close all the windows and the doors. So I was just trying to make sure we have perfect sound. Right. And uh, no AC is on right now. Yes, so right. it's all good, though. <laughs> okay, we got you in the sauna. for this Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the sake of the good action. quality. You yeah. are in the literal hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, you know, you're in the Philippines right now, but that's not where you started and uh, physically, and it's also not where you started on your on your spiritual journey. And so that's the kind of stuff we'll be we're talking about today. Sure. So let's get into a little bit. Where did you grow up? I grew up in California pretty much my whole life. So yeah, that's where I was born and raised. Okay. So you started out in California. And, um, you know, what kind of religious community did you start out with? Like we always talk, my sister and I always talk about our, our Catholic upbringing and the stories yeah. we have from that. And so uh, what was your for, first introduction to the, the unseen world? Okay. Yeah, so pretty much I was born into a Christian home. So my parents, uh, they started off as Catholics, um, but then by the time I was born, they were, they were already considered what would be called Protestant Christian, or what in the Philippines we would call born again. So they just use different labels here. But yeah, I was born into a, a Protestant Christian home. And it wasn't necessarily meaning that I was just born into it and I didn't believe in it. In fact, I believed in it wholeheartedly. And should I just go straight into my journey? Absolutely. That's the stuff we're interested in today. Like how, how you became a <laughs> spiritual healer and an sure. astral traveler and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Like how did, how did you get there? So, so where did you start? Sure, sure. So that took a long time, man. But yeah, so I was born into this Christian home and obviously there are so many different types of Christianities when you really think about it, right? I mean, just there could be two churches down the street that are completely different from each other, um, even though they claim the same faith. And so I belong to a type of Christianity that would be considered the charismatic kind of Christianity, meaning that it's a type of Christianity where we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, we would be talking about like how meetings where people are speaking in tongues and uh, falling down, which we would call slain in the spirit and people even having like open heaven visions, prophesying, healing, Holy Ghost laughter. I mean, this stuff is very out of the box, even for some what we would call conservative Christians, you know, so my whole life, yeah, bro. Well, oh, go just going into really quick, I'd never heard of Holy Ghost laughter before. <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's, so it's what, a trip. What is, uh, yeah. what is that? So basically, um, we, it's basically where some Christians are believe that God can speak to or minister to individuals in any way possible. And so the Holy Ghost laughter was just a type of, I guess you could say a phenomenon or a manifestation where people just experience this very ecstatic joy bubbling up inside of them to the point of uncontrollable laughter and so that's just something that i'm not saying it's a christian thing but it is something that is found within certain forms of a charismatic kind of christianity obviously you don't find that at the more conservative uh types of christian meetings you know where you know i mean some churches they don't even stand up and raise their hands during singing or worship you know but my my type of environment was a very right. free-flowing you know singing to the top of your lungs many times were very emotional and so my life i for most of my life aside from a skeptical period that i'll be referring to later i've always been open to stuff that are considered out of the ordinary you know um and i've always been fascinated with 
near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences. I mean, ever since I was a, like a little kid, I remember my mom telling me stories about people who went to heaven and, you know, they saw Jesus and, you know, just talking about the environment that they were in. I was like, dude, I, as a little child, I remember like, oh, I would want to experience those things. And I didn't have a hard time believing those things. You know, I didn't have that <clears throat> kind of like doubting mentality because my family was into that stuff. And I could vividly remember... Um, experiences. Well, if the Holy Ghost can yeah. give you a tickle torture, <laughs> then all bets are off. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm game for anything, right? But I do have some vivid memories of like a time when I was really small, uh, probably like at the age of five, not necessarily sure exactly which age, but I was really small. And I remember I was in my bedroom and it was late at night and it was very crystal clear. But at the corner of my bedroom, like up at the top towards the ceiling, I remember seeing like this very this floating ghostly figure just staring at me and it didn't hurt me it didn't make any noise it was just floating there looking at me and you know i was i was a kid right so obviously i just i screamed <laughs> to the top of my lungs and then my parents came in the room and then they prayed over me and then you know i just surprisingly i just went to bed you know i still slept in the same bed you know and, you know, so that was a very vivid memory that I had as a kid that was just very strange. Well, that's, that's, keeping, it pretty, that's keeping it pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I remember another time, uh, as I got older, uh, there was this one time when my dad and I were about to head out somewhere. And my dad was like, you know, hey, Joe, you know, because my nickname is Joe, is like, just close a sliding door. Because we have this really big sliding door that separates the patio from the living room. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'll just close it. So I closed it. But as I was walking away... I saw, I literally saw this flash of light come from behind me. It's as if somebody took a picture of me with the flash on. And I heard the sound like that. Exactly like that. Kind of like a lasery sound like. And I was like, what? And then I turned around. And then I heard my dad say, hey, I told you to close the door. And then I looked and then the door was completely open. And so I, 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 I always remembered that experience not really knowing how to explain it or how to interpret it you know what i'm saying but that that's just a kind of some of the stuff that happened as i was um growing up in this christian environment but uh but what was really the, uh something that really impacted my life which was something that you obviously can't see over audio but as you know now uh, mike with that i was only born with only one hand and that was something that I struggled with pretty much most of my life, um, especially when I was a little kid. Unfortunately, right, some kids could be pretty cool, cruel. Not all, but a lot of them were. And so because of that, it brought about a lot of insecurity. Well, that's, that's a tough thing with sports and everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've had to. It's funny, but I think it was like two days ago, yeah. I saw someone playing baseball you know with the with the mitten you know glove and it's for some reason two days ago it just brought back memories when i was in elementary school having to play baseball and having to remove my glove once i catch the ball i have to remove it and then i have to throw the ball like i've always had to pivot you know i've always had to adjust but obviously some kids instead of admiring those things um they just chose to make fun of it for whatever reason and so you know those were just some some of the things that i was struggling with and so because what brought about the struggle even more was that I, I believed in this God based upon, you know, the kind of church that I was in that we believed in miracles. And so 
when you believe in miracles and you're born a certain way and you don't want to be a certain way because of just the way you've been treated, it's like I wanted God to give me a miracle of two hands. You know, so what I would do is I would pray some nights just praying that one day I would wake up and boom, I have two hands, you know. So I would like cry myself to sleep sometimes. And I remember going from one what we would call miracle crusade there are these really big ass events where like there's these faith healers that come into town and i would do that like go from one crusade to another with like some very big names you know and then nothing would happen but the the major turning point in my life bro was when i was 17 years old and i found out that there was another famous faith healer in town i mean this was like one of probably the biggest name at the time without mentioning his name and uh, i remember I had so much faith that I was telling my friends at school who weren't Christian, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to this crusade and I'm going to come back with two hands. And I wanted to tell them as a way to kind of show to them that Christianity is, you know, the right way and Jesus is the right way and stuff. And so, you know, my friends came with me. And so when I went to this event, this is a really big event in Anaheim, California. And I mean, there's thousands of people there. I was lifting out my hands up in the air, like crying and praying out to God, asking Him to heal me. And, you know, the environment was very, very intense. It was very emotional because obviously there are a lot of people there who were seeking for miracles. There were people in wheelchairs. I mean, and of course, a faith healer was saying things to help stir up so there would be some faith in the room, you know. So I was getting excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have two hands. And, you know, but nothing was happening. And I just kept crying. And I'm sure my friends were wondering, like, what's going on? You know, nothing's happening to Josh. And so I told my friends, I said, take me down to the stage so the faith healer can lay hands on me. Because I thought maybe if the faith healer physically laid hands on me, that something would happen. So as I was going down to the stage, it was just so crowded. Like, there were just too many people. And by the time we were kind of close, the guest speaker just said, come back tomorrow. And I was like, oh, crap. You know, like, for one thing, I didn't get healed, which was disappointing. And another thing, I was also embarrassed because <laughs> nothing happened. And my friends were also wondering what's going on. And they actually, it actually backfired because they actually kind of looked at the event as kind of like a joke you know they were like mimicking the faith healer when we were walking to the car like fire fire you know like shooting fireballs because the the faith healer was very showy you know where people were falling down and then he's like throwing these invisible fireballs kind of thing where people were falling down so my friends were just kind of making fun of it but i was like whatever you know i'm gonna go back and so i did go back and then obviously nothing happened and so that was a really big turning point for me when i was 17 where it's not that I was angry at God, like the God that I believed in at that time, but it was more so like I came to the conclusion, maybe God doesn't do these kinds of things today. And so at that same time with that experience, I was a senior in high school. My teacher, I found out, was a Christian. And she was what you would call a Christian apologist. And an apologist is basically someone who defends so or defends the faith so for example there are muslim apologists there are christian apologists so defending in the sense that for example if you were to ask me how do you know the bible is true a christian apologist would have answers you know like re you know to refute the arguments against you know the doubters the skeptics you know we would be able to prove christianity the bible intellectually philosophically historically you know just trying to prove you know you know, that kind of thing at, you know, it's happening. You go through a lot of things in your life and you're talking about how you're, you know, raised in a very fervent religious environment. Yeah. Yet, you know, you see tragedies happening in the world. You see, yeah. you know, horrible things, kids with cancer, yeah. the Holocaust, all these kind of things. And you think the apologist's job 
is to let you know that God works in mysterious ways. Pretty so much, yeah. So don't sweat it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was right. always an explanation, right? But yeah, so when I was getting into apologetics, um, I got like heavily involved in it. Like it, it, it was something that actually changed my life because growing up as a as a little kid in the church, I didn't really question anything ever. That's why I would go from faith healer to faith healer. If someone said something at the sermon on a, in a sermon on a pulpit, I believed it. I mean, I was always just like that kid that believed everything, you know. And that's why when I learned apologetics, there it was kind of. Uh, double edge, you know, because for one thing, it, it got me to be skeptical in a certain way, which I think is healthy. Even to this day, I still find myself to be a skeptical person, unless there's good evidence for me to believe something otherwise, right? But at the same time, I, I ended up throwing out the baby, the baby out with the bathwater, because the majority of Christian apologists, at least in North America, that I was into that I was learning from that I was going to school and learning from them directly they were Christians who were not just critical of non-Christians like for example they would criticize you know Judaism Islam and they would criticize what they would consider to be cults like Mormonism Jehovah Witnesses but Christian apologists are also extremely critical of certain forms of Christianity specifically the kind that I was growing up in you know like the very charismatic faith healer the guys that you see on TV and so I developed that mentality sure they weren't big into snake handlers though. exactly I mean good thing we didn't do that though <laughs> you know but but you know it gave me a healthy sense of well I don't know about healthy I became more cautious and open so even even though at that time I still believed that, oh yeah, God can do miracles because the Bible talks about miracles. But any miracle claim that I've heard, I didn't believe it, no matter what. And I be and I developed this mentality for eight long years. And I wasn't the type of skeptic who was just very passive and just like, eh, I don't believe it. I had an agenda. And honestly, I do believe that my agenda came from a good heart because my agenda was to expose these faith healers, to expose these charlatans, because most of my life, pretty much, although I've attended so many miracles, all of the miracles that were allegedly claimed it did seem questionable, you know, because I didn't really see like a real miracle that was just so self-evident like oh yeah there's no way to deny that like there was always something that i could poke a hole in you know what i'm saying so give me an example of that give me an example of a miracle that you're like okay yeah so for example when i went to that event when i was 17 i, I remember people coming up to the front and testifying that god was healing them of like their cancer because they were feeling electricity all throughout their body like they were experiencing these certain manifestations in their body and I can look back at that moment and be like, well, you know, something's going on in her body, but that doesn't mean she's healed because we still have to look at the x-rays. You know what I mean? And obviously at a crusade, they don't do the x-rays on the spot. And so I started to kind of like have a different grid and a different paradigm, just kind of reinterpreting a lot of my past experiences of people who were speaking in tongues and falling down, what we would call falling down in the spirit or slain in the spirit. I'm like, all right, the speaking in tongues, you can make it up. Or it could just be, you know, just babbling, saying banana backwards or just, you know, psychological or people falling down. That could also be because of expectation. You know, people fall down because they expect to fall down when a faith healer touches them or, you know, like there's just a lot of things like psychosomatic, you know what I'm saying? And so I pretty much like what you were saying, I, I had an explanation for everything. And at the same time, Wanting to help people, though, because I did feel like a lot of those guys I saw on TV were all charlatans, all fakes. They just wanted your money. Or some of them were possibly 
honest, but they were just delusional. <laughs> you know, like they didn't know better, you know, because that's just how I thought. Right. Well, that's totally plausible. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why it was kind of like a double edged thing for me because, but at the same time, I, I, I look back now. Now that I look back, I did throw the baby out with the bathwater because I ultimately wasn't open to anything. But there was something that happened to me back in 2005 during this skeptical period. And keep in mind, like I said, I, I wasn't the passive type. I was so aggressive in this that I, quote unquote, deconverted a lot of Christians at my university who were believers in this supernatural miracle stuff and they no longer were believing anymore because of my influence. I mean, I had my stories to share, you know, and I had my arguments. But anyways, back to uh, 2005 during the skeptical period is uh, became one of the probably the, the toughest time in my entire life, to be honest, both physically and emotionally. But um, I was a breakdancer <laughs> since I was a little kid, since elementary school, despite okay. my hand, um, I could still do breakdancing. I fell in love with that. I did that pretty much every day. It was like my life, you know. But then in 2005, I, I attended a party. <laughs> and then, um, you know, obviously during a party, we started dancing. There was a dance floor there. So I was like, cool. And then I saw there was a guy there. I don't even know him. And I just challenged him to a battle because that's just what we did back in the day. You know what I'm saying? And then um, so we formed a circle and I did my little breakdancing little Sure, I do that in the streets sometimes. <laughs> cool. You know, and so th that's just what was going on. And But when I was doing my thing on the ground, my little breakdancing performance, when I got up, it was hard to get up. And when I did get up, all of a sudden, everything below my waist got numb. Like it got super, super heavy. And that's never, ever happened before in all my life. And I never even had back pain. I don't ever remember having back pain ever. But that day, all of a sudden, everything below my legs got super numb and super heavy. And then all of a sudden, ex ex extremely painful, especially my back. And so what I found out eventually... So did the guy get real cocky with you for uh, you won the breakdance battle? He, he probably had no idea. Was he like... Yeah, hey, yeah. Sorry, sorry, you're numb, but I'm still a badass. <laughs> yeah, he probably had no idea because I remember when I was done, he went in because you know he was uh, responding to my stuff. He was doing his whole thing, and I just couldn't go back in. And he probably had no idea. We just stopped it, and my friends, of course, were asking me if I was okay. But I eventually found out that I suffered from something called a herniated disc and something called sciatica. And so, just for your audience, for them to understand, this is that in your spine that the discs in between the vertebrae of my spine they were basically being crushed and they were slipping out and kind of like a jelly donut the way they would describe it to me when i was in the hospital um it's like a squash like a jelly donut but it would pop out and pinch a nerve and this caused like ex uh, excruciating pain from my back to my butt all the way down to my legs to my feet so just to be clear you didn't get to eat the jelly donut oh no too bad yeah i did <laughs> but i mean it, it, it was extremely painful bro where you know like if i coughed it hurt <clears throat> whenever i sneezed or even when i laugh which is what i love to do it hurt every single time which is i would get nervous every time i laugh unfortunately you know or when i sit too long or i'd fall down just randomly like my legs would give out because of the the pinch in my nerves you know it would, it would just give out and i would i remember it got so bad where my my roommates back in college were like dude you got to get a wheelchair you know and i took painkillers i did physical therapy and a bunch of my asian friends were like do acupuncture because it works for them but it didn't work for me and unfortunately bro i just got worse 
And I remember I had many nights where I cried myself to sleep, wondering what the heck's happening to my back. I'm still young, and I was afraid that maybe I won't even be able to have kids one day because I was afraid I would never be able to carry my kid. I mean, just like thoughts like that because I remember the many days when I would cry carrying my laptop from the library to my dorm, like even the weight of a laptop. Was too much for me, or I would be stuck on the ground and I would wouldn't be able to get up because my back was in so much pain. So I was thinking, dude, I mean, it's one thing for me to not dance anymore, which I really, really love to do, but now I can't even walk. You know, I'm still thinking young. And then not too long after that, which is so ironic, it, it just one thing piling piling up right after the other. I was at a friend's house for dinner one day, and then late in the evening, I started to feel severe pain in my chest and on the left side of my body. And I was feeling like it was a heart attack. And、um, I drove home. I barely made it home because I felt like I was going to pass out when I was driving home. But I told my mom, I'm like, you know, take me to the hospital, take me to the hospital. And they're like, we have no insurance, we have no insurance, you know. They didn't know what to do. And, I, I, you know, as a religious person, I, I got down on my knees and I was confessing my sins because I honestly thought I was going to die. I felt like I was having a heart attack.、Um, I eventually went to the hospital and I found out. That I was diagnosed with something called gastroesophageal reflux disease, which is called GERD, and it's something that I've never even heard of to that day. And I honestly, bro, like my whole life, I don't、e、even remember having chest pains at all, really,、um, or heartburn. You know, then all of a sudden, after that attack, after that day, I literally had chest pain and heartburn and the disgusting taste of vomit in my throat every single day, like every day. And I changed my diet. And I remember, I mean, even I have a vivid memory of just eating one little lifesaver. And that one little lifesaver screwed up my throat the entire day where I felt vomit in my mouth. And I was getting scared, like really, really scared, you know, because the medicine wasn't helping. Changing my diet and trying to eat healthy didn't help. I would sleep with like elevated pillows, you know, on the back of my head to keep the acid down. I did everything I could do to get better. But it just got worse. And I was like, what's the heck's going on? I'm, I'm still in my early 20s and I have these physical problems. Yeah, that sounds like the worst, man. Like, it heartburn is. on top of like leg pain and、oh, sciatica.、Yeah. Like, my dad has sciatica. And so he's going to walk back and forth sometimes just to kind、yeah. of, because it's, it's a nerve. It's not like anything, it's the nerve that makes the、exactly. rest of your body feel weird. Yeah, honestly. So, yeah. It's like hell, bro, honestly. Yeah, and I, and I was a pastor at this time. So I was actually asking the question to God, why? <laughs> you right, know,、absolutely. like, I'm, I'm serving you, why? You know, like, and I, but at the same time, I was a very skeptical person that didn't believe in the miraculous, you know, at least、um, practically speaking. You know, I, I didn't believe in it. That's why I no, no longer went to faith healers. But everything that I was trying, it didn't work. But another turning, major turning point in my life was. In 2006, when I met a man named William Beeson. And honestly, this changed my life forever because here was this guy who was sharing his story to us.、Um, and they called him like a modern day Job. Now, for those listeners who don't know, Job was a guy in the Old Testament that suffered, su like, suffered so much in the Bible. So they're calling this guy, Willie Beeson, like a modern day Job because his body was literally like, it was like falling apart, dude. Like, he, he, the discs in his Back and his spine ruptured. And so he had to get five surgeries, a total of seven. He had to get two more. And he was bedridden 22 hours a day. And he went from this really big, big guy to a super, super scrawny guy 
in a wheelchair because you know when you're bedridden for 22 hours and you're not working out your muscles it's just you just get super scrawny you know like the atrophy and everything and well, so i would eat chips all the time <laughs> i know like if i was bedridden all the time i would just eat chips but this guy was Snickers just like bars and stinking depressed you know because he even showed us all the photos when he was in his wheelchair and he just wanted to die his family was falling apart his business was falling apart because he was just so depressed and then he talked about how he went to a church for a healing service where he even said that he just did it for the sake of his wife, but he didn't expect anything to happen. But he went to this prayer service for healing and he just said, just he just wants to die. He didn't think anything would happen. And then nothing did happen. But when he got home, then one night he was just writing in his journal because he documents everything that he experiences. Um, all of a sudden, he felt a strong wind come into his room. And all of a sudden he ended up in heaven, that he claims to be heaven. And I remember hearing his story. I was like, what the heck? You know, because every heaven story that I heard during the skeptical period, because I've heard many of them, you know, because charismatics would try to debate with me, you know, to try to get me to believe again. I never believed any of them um, during that eight-year period. But when I was listening to this guy, it was for some reason I was starting to believe because he brought in all the documentation, you know, from UCLA, he had the record, medical records from Germany, and he was showing us before and after pictures, you know, and, and, and basically what happened when he was in heaven is that he was told by someone in this out-of-body experience that he says, you are going to be 100% healed, restored to your youth. He comes back to his body, boom, he wakes up, he was telling his wife the story, what just happened to him, and she thought, oh, he's on too much morphine. You know, so he's like, all right, whatever, you know, he wakes up the next day, he stands up, he says, you know what, I stood up with no pain, that in and of itself was already a miracle for him. And then he took a couple of steps, that was already a miracle for him. He says, then I went outside and he ran a stinking mile. And he started screaming, saying, God is real, God is real, I'm healed, I'm healed. Well, what was heaven like for him? Did he describe his heaven experience? Oh, of course. Was heaven, was heaven yeah. like angels and stuff yeah was it like a nightclub what was that uh, for this guy? so his explanation is that when he was there he saw he was walking down a street that was like a translucent gold and people were wearing like these kind of white robes you know kind of like the typical image you would have of heaven but it's like it's as if they were there yeah it's like they knew who he was and supposedly this this being this entity that was talking to him was supposedly jesus and Jesus showed him these big, really, really gigantic gates. And behind this gate was like this beautiful city. And I remember him telling me this. And he's like, was that the New Jerusalem? Which is what's referred to in the Bible. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I didn't even know what the New Jerusalem was in the Bible. Because he wasn't a, really a religious person. So he saw that stuff after his experience. Did Jesus say why they picked him? No. That was something that we even asked him after he spoke. He says that's something that he wonders to this day because at that time because he has met many people who didn't get healed and that's why he feels so blessed that why did it happen to him he doesn't know but of course he's grateful because after that he was sharing his testimony everywhere you know and when i heard him i remember even there was even a student right next to me and she said you know what i'm a science person and i don't know how to explain this you know, but she was believing it too. Because, you know, it's like when you bring documentation, it, it gives more credibility. It's not just some guy sharing his story. You know, so he's probably well, full of it, possibly. Or he's Did he say that truth. he could heal then now too? Like, so so he's doing a tour saying like, it's unbelievable. Like, heaven is real. I got yeah. healed. You guys got to check it out. And what was his, you know, why was he, was he coming just to talk about it? Or was he saying that he could help heal people too? 
Well, I mean, he was talking about ultimately about like the the power and the love of God that you know, like you could still try to believe, you know, which is what was inspiring me. Obviously, who had my own issues at that time, listening to him back in two thousand six and stuff. So he wasn't claiming any superpowers, although his body was not normal. In fact, like I remember, he would demonstrate stuff like. Where he even admitted that he got a little cocky when he got healed because his his body would just like beef up. Because remember, he was super skinny. Then all of a sudden, he told me about the time when his son touched him, and he's like, "Daddy, I'm feeling all this like electricity on you." And his arm, and his stomach, everything just started beefing up. And he's like, "Josh, feel my arm." You know, he's like, "It's as hard as a rock." He's like, "Josh, I don't even work out. I don't know what happened to my body." And I remember, I, I even went. This is I'm kind of fast forwarding, but when I went to his house, he just. Went to his living room. He picked up the couch like nothing. I was like, dude. He's like, yeah, Josh, when I first got healed, I was picking up the couch. And my brother was asking me, what's happened to you? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened to my body. And even my professor. Right, but if, if I can get in on that Jesus workout plan, <laughs> if I can get in on that, on that heaven. Exactly. Like, he's he should write a book out. called like, the Jesus workout and yeah. I would do it. Exactly. And that's why there was something not normal about that. You know, that because I've been praying for abs my whole life. (laughs) But I do remember he even mentioned, I think it was uh, doctors from UCLA that the doctors, you know, they didn't say it was like a religious explanation. But, you know, they I think they did say like it was it was a miracle or something like that, or they didn't know how to explain it. But obviously, it did happen. I mean, he even has an atheist who was there during that time of his suffering. And was there even after his miracle and says, yeah, I'm still an atheist. I don't know how to explain it, but my friend was like this one day and the next day he was completely normal. So his friend, I even met his atheist friend who testified and said, no, Willie's telling the truth. Like he doesn't know how to explain it because he's still an atheist, but he couldn't deny that something happened to his friend. And so just to kind of backtrack, I when I first met this Willie Beeson guy, I approached him after his talk and I just told him about my back. And he says, Josh, just give me your information. Well, you know, we'll swap information. I'll keep in touch with you. So I was like, cool, you know. And then um, he does keep in touch with me. He gives me the website where he received that prayer for healing at this church. And I remember when I clicked on it, it was like a typical Christian healing service church. You know, you could imagine me rolling my eyes because that's just something that I grew up with and I got turned off by so much. But I'm like, all right, let me read the testimonies. And so they were sharing testimonies about like back pain or whatever and I'm like ah whatever okay that's probably just psychosomatic and then um and then I read a story about like someone getting healed of cancer I was like huh now if that's true that is a big deal you know but that's I was still kind of like not sure what to believe about it because I grew up with this stuff and I was skeptical but then I came across a testimony of someone saying that at the healing service that their arm grew out and I was like what you know and I was like really thrown off by that i'm like well well, you know like a complete arm or just like a few inches like i wasn't really sure and so i i remember like just even looking back at that moment i remember even sharing that experience i would i would actually cry sometimes because i remember it was such an extremely emotional moment for me because i remember right after i read that website i went down to the prayer chapel this is at school and i started crying and for the first time in eight years, my desire to be healed came back because I didn't have the desire anymore, you know. And I was like, what? But I was still wondering, like, is this like a joke or, you know, because I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to go to some place and try to get healed and then nothing's going to happen. And so I'm just trying to condense everything. Um, then I went on this journey where I had this renewed interest in healing again, where I, des- I decided to revisit again because obviously I grew up in it. 
but then I and then I got turned off for eight years, and now I'm like, let me see if this stuff is legit. And then I was introduced to these people who I've never heard of before, who many of them were like intellectual people because that was important to me, because when I was uh, growing up, a lot of the faith healers were very anti-intellectual, and I didn't like that. You know, and well, because a lot of the intellectuals will be like, "What you're doing?" They'll they'll tell them they're full of crap. Or something, exactly. You know, so exactly. they're not going to be real hot on intellectuals because intellectuals use their intellect exactly and not right? their heart. Exactly. So it's not just all fully run by emotions. You know, they're like asking for evidence. You know, so when I found out who these guys were, I read every single book I could find on, uh, you know, the miraculous or what we would call paranormal phenomena, but particularly healing, because that was very important to me. So I would travel from place to place again, just like when I was a kid, with a different grid, like a different perspective. Okay, like, okay, don't judge it based upon the faith healer, but just see if this stuff actually happens. So I started hearing about stories of people getting healed and, you know, people who operate in these kinds of abilities. And then I tried healing people myself you know, for the first time after all these years. And for the first time, I started seeing people get healed immediately. Like I remember praying for somebody with a cast on and crutches and boom, like their pain went away, you know, and their cast on was taken off not too long after that. And I I kept experimenting and trying, oh, it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Well, what's happening with your sciatica and your acid reflex and everything at this time? So now you're, you're interested in healing again, but what's happening in your body yeah, so at this time, I was still having my issues, but I was it was weird, but even though I was still having my issues, I was still trying to understand this stuff and try to pray for people as well and do healing. And so I, I can get to that what happened later on, but eventually, like my whole life was becoming this whole world of like, I guess you could call, I was experiencing the paranormal stuff, you know, even though we don't use that word in, in Christianity really at that time. But I was being guided a lot through my dreams and I was having these very vivid dreams of guidance of what to do at that time and people who I had to be careful about, you know, and and then I started to have these things kind of, I guess you could call these psychic abilities where as using Christian terminology, we would call them word of knowledge, where all of a sudden I would have these instances where I would just know things about people, like specific things, because I'm very skeptical too. Like if someone just gives me general information, I'm like, that's not psychic. You can say that out about anybody, you know? But then all of a sudden, I, w- I remember just like chilling at the block in Orange County and I was at the bookstore. And then all of a sudden, I I didn't expect it. I was just like standing next to someone. And then all of a sudden, I was supposed to ask her about her dad. And so how do these impulses come? So do they come where you hear a voice in your head saying, hey, dude. Ask her about her dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or so, uh, is, it, is, it, is it your own thought that says, hey, I should ask this person about their dad? Yeah. I mean, does it seem to have, is it like coming from a thought inside you? Is it coming from outside you? Like, how does it show up in your brain? Yeah, so they come in de- many different ways. And so there could be times where it can be like an audible type of voice, which I have had. I actually wrote about this in my second book. But this one was more of just like a random thought. Like it was so random and unexpected that it just didn't sound like me. Like why would I just ask some girl about her dad and then find out about some sort of abuse or whatever, you know? And I I approached her and then it was true. And I was like, dude, what's what's that? And there was even another incident where I was in school. And did she get upset with you or anything? No. Because if you see a random person ask me about like a very personal question, I'd punch him in his face. Well, thankfully, she wasn't you. <laughs> no, she, right. she was totally cool with it. In fact, I was able to encourage her and help her. And that's where I started to like continue to experiment and try, okay, I'm learning that we can receive these 
this information in many different ways, ways either through uh, like the mind's eye, you'll have an image, you'll even have a word pop up, or you can actually see some stuff with your eyes open, you know, or I remember there was a time I was in the library and I was just sitting next to a girl because we were just using the internet in the library and all of a sudden I see this girl getting emotional and I, I was like, all right, whatever, I don't know who she is and all of a sudden this random name popped up and I was like, um, excuse me, does this name mean anything to you? And then she's like, boom, she started crying. She's like, that's the person that I'm contacting about. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, so I would have these experiences where I would even start to feel people's pain. And that's something that I still feel to this day in the work that I do where I'm able to feel uh, not just the emotions, but I could also feel the exact places where people are hurting when I'm around them sometimes. So for example, let's just say I'm out. You know, like before I leave my house, my body is completely normal. And then I'm going to meet with a friend. And all of a sudden, when I sit in front of my friend, I feel a pain in my left knee. And I'm like, dude, is there something wrong with your left knee? And then boom, yeah. So I was like, oh, snap. So I, I started to learn to recognize it, that believe Has it or not. Has that ever been embarrassing? You know, it's no. like, oh my God, like my right butt cheek is dying. <laughs> so you got to be like, how's your No, how's no, your no. Surprisingly, like, are your people glutes get, okay? Surprisingly, people get really emotional and thankful because they think and believe that God cares enough about them that they're able to help them. You know, at least that's been my experience. They're like, oh my gosh, how did you know that? And I was like, oh, well, let me just like, you know, do a little healing on you to get better just to let you know, hey, healing's on the way or something. So that's how I approached it. I never really had any negative reactions to that. So there's never been anything like too dark or too weird that you're like, I can't, like, I need to like write a person like a private letter or send no, a note nothing, or something? No, Nothing so far that was too private. I mean, okay. especially if it was in a public setting, I wouldn't like announce it on a microphone or in a church service. You know, they're always very no, like but private. Yeah. At the same time, it's just the idea that if you're receiving very, I mean, anything like even knowing about a pain in my knee, I'd yeah. be like, get out of my head. How do you know about a pain <laughs> in my knee? What else are you seeing? Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want you to see the rest of my secrets. Oh just no, no, no. You yeah. See a pain in the knee. Obviously, I don't share everything. I mean, I I even had a conversation with a few people the other day. Where it's like, uh, they were even saying, oh yeah, when I was with Josh, sometimes I talk to Josh and I feel like he he's saying something, but he's just not saying something, you know, so they get all, I'm like, yeah, because I don't need to say everything, you know, because imagine if, if I said everything that comes to my mind, you know, so I, I do pick and choose, you know, I try to find the right setting that's appropriate because I'm not there to embarrass anybody, but I do feel like sometimes these things come so I could... Uh, bring it to light in case they might need to hear some encouragement about it in the moment especially because it's more so about a physical pain not so much of a like an emotional thing all the time it's usually physical that's that's usually where I'm drawn that I could feel like I'll feel a skin condition or something or a pain in my wrist and then there would be fibromyalgia or something like that so you think it's a message from specific people in another on the other side or something like that or it, it could be or it, it could just messages about living people or is it messages about dead people anytime oh my experience would be the the living yeah so it's like it's just basically i could come into contact and i don't know necessarily how it could all work maybe it's just because of the energy i could be sensitive to the energy um but that's just kind of how it works for me and so i you know I'm I'm very drawn to healing because that's been my journey. So I I'm very willing to do that. You know, like tomorrow I'm going to be praying for someone with a stroke, but that's like something that is planned. But there are days where I'm just like chilling in a mall and I'll see somebody uh, with a cast on limping, and then you know I'll just start praying for them. You know, I'll do a healing on them in the middle of the mall, 
And just the past weekend, I hung out with people three days in a row, and we did healing at people at Krispy Kreme, a coffee shop, and another spot, like in front of everybody, because we're like, hey, and these people just start bawling, they just start crying. They're like, how did you know this? And I was just speaking to this one lady I've never met, and she's just like, she actually got kind of nervous when I was talking to her, you know, but she was just like, yeah, how do you know that? And she just started crying. I'm like, I don't know, it just comes to me as I'm talking. You know, so that's kind of how it works sometimes. It's just sometimes as you're doing it, it just comes to you as you're doing it. We would call it like automatic speech. You know, like there are some people who do automatic writing. They just start automatically writing. They don't even know what they're writing. It just could be scribbles. It starts forming. So at the same time, what I realized all these years, bro, is that from my Christian background to where I'm at now, who no longer identifies himself as a Christian, I realize that everybody has these abilities. Just some people are more aware of them than others. That's why in my training, when I go around the country, here in the Philippines or even in the States, I would teach people anybody can do this. It's just we don't learn to pay attention. Usually we have a random thought and we're like, oh, whatever, it's just a random thought. No, pay attention to that. Or you feel a random pain when you're out in public. Pay attention to that. And so some people are just more in tune to it than others because they learn to pay attention. So when you're praying for someone's healing though, so let's say, so like, like the, you know, you meet somebody or you, you, first of all, let's, so you walk into a, you walk into a room, let's say it's a party. Yeah. You, you know, you're like, ah, my arm, so you start <laughs> feeling a random pain. And then yeah. you're like, who's, whose arm hurts around here? Or do you see the person too? No, sometimes I have to ask. Yeah, honestly. So, but, but sometimes it'll be the person right next to me, which makes more sense. But when I'm doing like a healing service, like a healing event, obviously there's a bunch of people that are in front of me that I, I do have to ask. But sometimes it could happen when I'm looking directly at them and there's that, you know, kind of, it goes in sync that right when I see them, I feel it. So I'll say, is there someone right here? Because I'm pointing to a certain direction in the crowd, but it's right. a big crowd. But I have to be very specific you know, so it'll be applicable to them. Because I could just, hey, anyone here with a back pain? Obviously, there's a lot of people in the audience that has a back pain. So I have to be specific. You know what I'm saying? Because, well, yeah. What do you think is the most, uh, the case that you've had that made you believe in whatever it is the most? Is there a specific Honestly, instance? yeah. I mean, this might sound weird to maybe even you or your listeners, but honestly, uh, it's when I saw body parts grow. And so, oh, just before I forget, long story short, when it comes to yeah. my own body, thankfully, and I'm so happy, my back's completely healed and my girth's completely gone, 100%. And that's something that when I just think about it, trust me, bro, my wife can even like testify. I get emotional thinking about it because I, I think about it every day, to be honest. Every day I put on a backpack, a heavy backpack, the food that I eat every day, bro. I mean, I, I, I eat a lot of stuff that people say people my age shouldn't be eating that stuff. That's stuff that they would eat in there when they're you know young. But I still eat a lot of this stuff where I, I in a way, I do feel like my body's not quote unquote normal because I push the limits that a lot of people my age wouldn't be eating, even like late at night. Like I told you, I go to sleep like at five in the morning, right? right. So I mean, I, I, I could drink. I know people will criticize me for this, but I'll drink like an energy drink, like at two in the morning and then go straight to bed. Well, but I'm I, telling I'm you. Not gonna, I'm not going to criticize you for it. It's your <laughs> body. You can do what you like. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. And, and you if know. you want to have a Red Bull at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> gosh darn it, have your Red Bull at yeah. two o'clock in the morning. You know, or I'm like, gonna... I, and I, I'm a chips guy, you know, and I eat a lot of chips and you know, and, and chocolate. But back in the day, bro, when I had my GERD, like I said, one little thing that's like ketchup or soda, anything, I'm, I'm screwed up the whole day, bro, the whole day. So like, I know something happened to my body. 
for sure. And I've had people tell me when I had my GERD who were in the medical field, because <laughs> a lot of us Filipinos are nurses, you know, but they would just tell me, they're like, Josh, you're going to have this the rest of your life. You're just going to have to maintain it, you know, taking the medication. And, and I believed it at that time when I was a skeptic, like, oh my gosh, you know, but now they, they know my story. Those people who are still my friends to this day, they were there at that journey of mine when I was sick and, uh, you know, in a lot of pain and couldn't eat anything. And they look at me now like, they, they know something happened to me. Now, they could say it's God, universe, or self-healing, whatever. But something definitely is different with my body, bro. Did it happen overnight? Did, like, your, your back problems, like, did you wake up one morning like, hey, I feel great? No, my back, was it a, no, my back problem was a progressive one. But I could honestly say it was progressively faster than I know a lot of people would expect from a back getting better. You know, and especially because of what I can do now. You know, where I could still lift weights or carry heavy things. Um, and my GERD did disappear like overnight. Like I just noticed it one day. Like I went to the cafeteria and I'm like, I took a risk because the way faith healing works is that I've learned that you got to do what you're not supposed to do. Now, that's not something I'm telling your audience to do, but it, that's just how I do it. Like you'll, you won't know you're healed, right? Unless you try something that you're not supposed to be doing. Like if Jesus told someone get up and walk who's a cripple, they'll be like, hello, I'm a cripple. I can't walk. You know, so you know you're healed when you do the thing you're not supposed to do. So I took a step of faith when I was in the cafeteria at my school. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to try eating hamburgers and pizza. And I did it and it was completely gone. There was no, nothing what's, and it didn't come back. And so that's, that's what people know. So that's the thing, bro. It's, it's funny. People at my school knew me as the guy who got a lot of people to not believe. And then they knew me as the guy after that healing of mine, as, every, as the guy who was trying to tell everybody, hey, no, this stuff's real. <laughs> you know, so they would sure. call me like the Apostle Paul of healing back in my university because Paul was the persecutor of the church, supposedly in Christianity. And all of a sudden, he became the main proponent of Christianity, you know, so from enemy to, you know, a proponent. And so that's how I feel about my own healing journey. So you came around, you came around to, you started, you, but... When you said you saw like body parts yeah. grow or anything, yeah, let's yeah. Give a, I, I can I, get I'm going to need that. an example on that. Yeah, so you, could, so you could even see that. It's on, even on YouTube, but it happened when I was in San Diego doing a conference on healing. So I was the guest speaker that had to do with healing and the other speakers were talking about other stuff. And I remember there was um, a service where a girl said that her leg is shorter than the other. And I've heard about legs growing out, just like how I read about that testimony of an arm growing out, right? Um, now, now I'll be honest, it's not like a whole leg missing. It's just like several inches off, like maybe two or three inches. But it's still obviously noticeable because she has back problems, so her hips are not aligned. I've never seen it done. I've just heard about these things being done, you know, about legs growing out. So I remember me being the faith healer of the conference. <laughs> you know, I had I was acting confident. I'm like, come forward. And I had her sit in front of me, and there were people watching me who are also from the university who attended this conference. And I just, you know, you know, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Like, you know, so I was acting like you know, like I've done this before, but I was, I, I commanded the leg to come out. And then I literally saw the leg come out and she went <gasps> like that. And sh she just started crying. And even in my own mind, I acted like I was playing it cool as if I've done that before. But that was my first time. I was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just saw a leg grow out, <laughs> you know? And so that became a normal thing that I started to do a lot where I noticed there's a lot of people who have back pains that a lot of times their legs are shorter than the other or their arms are shorter than the other. And um, 
we've seen things go like that. So, so that, that has been very powerful. I mean, seeing people with cancer being healed has been very powerful, you know? So, I mean, I, I, there's, there's many things that I, I could be very grateful for without like saying this one's better than the other, but, but it's, it's hard though, because there's some things like you, you were talking about when you were disappointed, when, you know, you wanted a new hand, yeah. has there anybody been out there that you has come to you and like, still, you know, how do you deal with, well, People still get disappointed. Like, let's say if they're like, you know, they got stage four cancer and then like, yeah. oh, stage five is coming up and like, well, there is no stage five. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you deal with that? That's got to, that's got to be hard. You mean dealing it for myself? Well, with, with yourself or also dealing with other people when you're trying to pray for somebody and you pray oh, a yeah. bunch or you call yeah. to the universe, you're like, okay, let's cure this guy. And then the next day he dies. Like yeah. when it doesn't work, how do you work with that? Well, I mean, obviously there there are explanations for that. You know, even what we've learned from the afterlife community or people who communicate with the dead, there are reasons why people do die because there are certain exit points that people have created during their pre-birth planning. I don't know how familiar you are with that stuff, but um, Wait, there, there pre-birth, are... Pre-birth planning? Yeah. No, I don't know anything about it. What's that about? Yeah, so supposedly before, if you... this This implies reincarnation, that, that we okay. have many lives, right? So supposedly before you incarnate here you actually plan out the major points of your life. You do. So it's not necessarily like God determining everything, but you and your guides, your spirit guide, and you know maybe your spirit group, you have this plan that you can create while you're here on earth where there are these major points of your life. So I believe that me being born this way and even me suffering you know, with these injuries was part of the pre-birth planning. Now, the in-between parts, the details are up for, you know, the... You have free will every every point of your life, but you know those things beforehand. There there are some things you can plan beforehand. I mean, and so, but at the same time, you can you do determine your exit point of when you're gonna die. Now that's a whole other subject, bro. I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but yeah, according well, to the afterlife community, I mean, yeah. let's keep it on on a healing and yeah, yeah. how you've done that for for this episode. Yeah. So when it comes to people who don't get healed, so that that's the thing. I don't promise people healing. I just offer to try, right? Like, so tomorrow I'm going to be praying for doing healing on a guy with a stroke. I'm not going to be promising and promising him anything. I'm just going to try. So it's kind of like, it's like someone uh, receiving a prayer of encouragement, you know? So even if somebody doesn't get better on the spot, a lot of people have told me, say, you know, Josh, I, I just feel encouraged that you even want to try helping me, you know, because you were speaking so much encouragement. You know what I'm saying? Like it that people don't get offended when I do this and if they don't see immediate results. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not promising them like you're going to be walking 100% when you're out, you know. Like I always just try to encourage them say, "Hey, don't give up because I didn't give up. I'm still not giving up even for my hand, but I know if I gave up for my back, if I gave up for my gird, who knows where I would be because it was a process, remember? So, it's like I give people at least the encouragement say, "If you can if you want to accept your condition you can because believe it or not it sounds weird some people don't want to get healed it's weird but some people don't because it's become their identity you know where they've actually liked the attention or they're on disability you know what i'm saying i mean there there's sure, interesting like if reasons helen keller could start seeing yeah. and hearing all of a sudden it'd be like well now you know like before when it was a blind and deaf girl who could right. talk that was per- that was something but now exactly. it's just a, a girl who could talk and hear yeah that's nothing yeah, so there, there, there's a lot of reasons that we can speculate of why people don't get healed. But I just know that if 
someone doesn't get healed immediately in front of my eyes, I just encourage them and say, you know, I'm going to keep you in my thoughts and my prayers and, you know, keep doing what you're doing and taking steps of faith whenever you feel led to do so. Because I would never tell someone to do something that they don't want to do. I wouldn't tell like someone who has GERD, go eat this right now, even if you don't want to. No, they right. would have so to do make you, that So do you ever take your hands, like the, they do the thing with the, the psychic healers wherever where they, they're going into the stomach with a bunch of blood? And like you have, Oh, the one that? in the Philippines. Uh, no, no, I yeah. don't do it. You know, like ripping out bacon or something like that. No, I don't do any of that. Yeah, stuff, like no. they do that with the psychic healing team, <laughs> like working their hands on it and it gets all nasty. And they're yeah, like, hey, I yeah. pulled the tumor out and it's, you know, it's probably like a like a goat's heart or something. I know, I know. Yeah, so that that's the thing, bro. So that's what I've been able to kind of look back and filter, you know, just my experiences. I've learned that there are people out there who are fakes and out for your money and charlatans and, you know, but I, I've learned that, well, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because these things are happening. You know, quote unquote miracles, whatever you want to call them, are happening all around the world. And, you know, it's just people who are skeptical, they tend to throw it all out. They say, no, it's all BS. No, some of them probably are, but if you investigate more, how do you explain that? whether you want to call it a miracle or not. So that's up to every individual to figure out for for his or herself, you know. But all I know, why I'm so confident in doing what I do is because of my healing of my back and of the my, my GERD. Because I tell people that. I'm like, you know what? If I went on this journey and my hand didn't get healed and my GERDs didn't get healed or my back, I don't think I would be this confident being believing in healing just because I'm reading a bunch of healing books. You know what I mean? Sure. I had right. to experience something personally for myself to convince me, no, it's real. Look at my life now. You know what I mean? Now, did you ever, have you ever like had a point where you're thinking about it? You're like, okay, well, I can help heal somebody. Like, let's say they got cancer and they're getting like, you know, they're getting chemo. And you're like, well, they still got to get chemo, but maybe this is going to help them feel better. Or this is going to help them, uh, you know, that, that positive attitude of somebody praying for them. That's going to be extra energy for them to get through and want to survive or want to make it through the tough times. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever seen like an example of something in your own life where you see somebody who didn't get prayed for or, and then immediately, you know, cocked out or whatever, and somebody who did get prayed for, like even, have you ever healed somebody who didn't want to be healed? Not in that the I way know of. of. They didn't, they didn't believe I know in of. it. They oh, yeah, 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 for it, sure. They were healed anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah, because uh, if you know more about my journey, bro, when I first started speaking on healing back in 2006, my my uh, quote-unquote ministry um, were, were for the skeptics. So when I would speak, majority of my engagements were skeptical people because I wanted them to see that they can identify with my story, like, hey, I was just like you where I don't believe in this stuff too. That's why I would do demonstrations of healing in all of my gatherings. That's how I did it back in the day, for sure. You know, so I, it wasn't preaching to the choir, you know what I'm saying? And so there were people there who were like, yeah, I don't believe. I said, it's all good. Here, give me your hand or give me your, your leg or whatever. And boom, it's gone. Why did they get healed? They didn't believe. They don't have to believe, but I believed. You see the yes. difference? Because it's, it's yes. just like saying... You know, if, if, if we put all the faith on the person being prayed for, there's going to be some confusing issues because like if, if you believe that the Bible is true, right? Um, sure. Somebody says, okay, Lazarus was raised from the dead. How did he get raised from the dead? Is it because he had a lot of faith? Well, he was dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. If you were to believe that's true, you know, some people well, don't sure. believe Well, sure. Well, talking about Christianity real quick and, yeah. you know, the, uh, why did you eventually break? 
to where you said you know, earlier you said today you're not you don't consider yourself a Christian anymore. It, yeah. But obviously you still consider yourself a spiritual person because you're getting messages from somewhere. Sure. Um, why did yeah. you break from Christianity into a different realm? And have you? Is there a new realm of things? You're like, okay, well, Jesus is actually Zenu or whatever. Like, why did you break from <laughs> right, that? Right, right. Yeah. So that that's that was a quite a process for me that took several years, and so. Um, that happened when I was out here as a missionary, believe it or not. You know, what a surprising time to start questioning your faith. So what I realized while I was studying apologetics, even though I studied a lot of, uh, you know, anti-Christian texts, you know, I would read atheist books, non-Christian books, agnostic books, but I've always had the assumption that Christianity was true, right? But when I got to the Philippines, I just started to question a lot more because I just started to notice what a what a bubble the Christian world can be, like with our own language and we're the in-group, you're the out-group, you know, we're saved, you're not, they're going to hell, we're going to heaven. And it just didn't, that was not resonating with me anymore, especially thinking that a lot of these people that I know and love who don't know Jesus the way, understood Jesus at the time is going to be in hell for all eternity. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why experience was one of the things, just like reality, just looking at people like, so this Buddhist guy is going to go to hell forever, but Hitler is probably going to be in heaven if he just says a sinner's prayer. You know, like, come on, that just right. sounds weird, you know? And and an, another thing that really opened up my eyes was healing because my whole life as doing healing, I was always doing it the Christian version because that's all that I read. So, and that's all that I was modeled, you know, that I looked at, you know? So I would always do healing where I would be casting out demons or do things in Jesus' name, be healed, you know, because that's just what I would read in the Bible. But then I would always hear about other people doing Reiki and all that other stuff. I'm like, I wasn't familiar with that stuff. But then when I started to question my faith, I started to explore different healing modalities like energetic healing, quantum healing, Reiki, all that stuff. And I'm like, dude, all that is still the same. It's all the same. It's just semantics, you know. So what someone says they're feeling Holy Ghost on the body, that's why they're shaking. Another person who's spiritual will say, no, no, that's just energy. Or another person having like a Holy Ghost encounter where they're shaking and they're feeling all the stuff in their back. Another person say, no, that's Kundalini. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's the human experience that I feel like Christianity just made the world too small for me. I felt like the universe is much, much bigger than my little Christian paradigm that I had you know, for all these years. And so... So you do you still feel like, okay, so even if you're saying that, that uh, the universe is bigger than just Christianity, do you still feel like there might be a heaven? Or do you still yeah. feel like there might be another plane? Yeah, or do you sure. think that this is very physical? Like the, the energy you feel might be just some kind of electricity or an energy yeah. source we haven't discovered yet. Yeah. And so this goes back to 2006 while I was still a Christian and I didn't know how to interpret this at the time, but... Um, this is when I was starting to experience what we would call out-of-body experiences or astral projection, whatever you want to call it. So this was back in 2006. I was still a you know pastor, speaker, all that stuff. And I was in the library and I decided to lie down on the floor on the beanbag. And all of a sudden, I saw this extremely bright light shining on me. And I was fully awake, fully conscious. And I remember the first words that went on in my mind was, I've heard about, here we go, I've heard about this. And I was very calm. And I heard this sound go, like that. Like it was like electricity or energy. And I felt this extremely, extremely intense electricity 
all throughout my body to the point where it felt like I was being crushed. So you could just imagine like me, like almost grinding my teeth kind of feeling. I was like, oh, like that, um, where I felt like I was being smashed, to be honest. And I wasn't hurt. It wasn't painful, but it was extremely uncomfortable, like I was being smashed. And I had sleep paralysis, so I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. And I had this really loud ringing in my ear. And then all of it went away. And then it came back two more times. It was weird. And all of a sudden, and I, and I noticed, though, that I, I didn't feel any uh, evil presence. Because I've heard from my friends that when they had sleep paralysis, they felt like evil and demons and stuff. I felt none oh, yeah. of that. It was a very neutral, weird experience. And so that happened in 2006. And then not too long after that, I was in the library again. I didn't know how to explain that, to be honest. So I just kind of left it alone. I was like, what was that? I don't know. Then again, well, right. I was I mean, in the library. Weird. Yeah, I was in the library again. I was I was just going to chill on the beanbag and just probably take a nap. And then when I um, was lying down on the floor on the beanbag in a particular aisle, all of a sudden, literally all of a sudden, I was in another part of the library. I was in a different aisle. And I was like, what? what? Where am I? What the heck? Like I was looking around. It's the same library, everything. But I was in a different aisle. And my vision was very gloomy. It was very dim as though like somebody dimmed the lights, right? So it wasn't completely dark, but oh. there was a little bit of light. But I was fully conscious, fully aware, just like how I'm awake right now talking to you. So it was definitely not a dream because I've been a lucid dreamer ever since I was a little kid. I have a lot of fun in my dreams, right? Like So lucid dreaming, for those who don't know is that when you are just become conscious in your dream that you're dreaming, right? And you could play around and fly and do stuff like that. It wasn't that right. like that because there was a different texture to it because it was as if I'm fully awake the way I'm talking to you right now. So I come back to my body, boom. I still didn't know what that was. And I eventually found out that those two instances, I was experiencing something called a vibrational state, which is like, you know, the precursor to an OBE. So when you're feeling the sleep paralysis, you're feeling the buzz, and some people don't see the light, but I saw the light. Those were actually like a prelude to an OBE. So the first time I was experiencing that, I didn't come out of my body because I didn't know what was happening. The second time, I experienced the vibrations and stuff again, but I actually came out of my body, but I, I don't know how to do it. It just happened, right? And so later on, several years later, like I said, I've always been fascinated with, with near-death experiences and OBEs. And, but I always felt like they were only for special people, honestly, right? Like I would ask about like that Willie Beeson guy that I met in 2006. Maybe he just, there was a special plan for him or, you know, these other NDE stories that I would hear. Like maybe God just calls certain people to do it, you know? But then I was finding out about people who learned how to do it. And I was like, what? <laughs> you can learn how to project, actual project? And so as I've already mentioned, like I just started eating this stuff up, all the content that I could find. I would stay up every night reading, learning, listening to stuff, watching stuff learning how to actually project. And so I tried it for several months. Like I would even tell my wife, oh, I'm going to project tonight, you know, and then nothing would happen until one day, boom, it happened. And it started happening regularly where I would have several OBEs a month. And I've been doing that ever since for several years now in my life. That's what has also opened me up more to our universe, that there's more to just this physical earth and then heaven and hell. You know what I'm and saying? So when you are, you know, when you are traveling, like, where do you go? Like, if you have an out of body experience, like, like where where do you go? Like, yeah. do you use that for your healing at all? Like, you go visit somebody else's body, and you can. Like, there's there's many instances of 
stuff like that happening. People like like my friend Willie or my last guest that was on my podcast uh, a month ago, he was able to heal his arthritis. And my guest that's going to be on my show next week, he was also healed. I think he healed his wife. You know, so in in the astral realm, it's very interesting where your thoughts are your. It's more thought responsive, meaning that whatever you think, the manifestation is a lot quicker. Unlike here, right? If you do believe in something called the law of attraction, where where you're able to attract certain things with with the thoughts that you put out, it's more like a slow motion version here on this physical earth. But when you're in these astral states. They're almost immediate. So, for example, you think of something like an apple. An apple appears in front of you. You think of going to a place. You go there right away. So, in the beginning, when I first started having OBEs, I was still a newbie. So, my OBEs were very short. So, as far as I can go, I would only lift up out of my body, and I would turn around and flip over, and I would see my body. But I would. It was. They were like very quick. You know, where it just didn't very last long because I didn't know how to maintain how to stay out of body. But then over time, actually, I learned. I learned quickly though. Then、um, eventually, I was I was able to prolong my experiences where I started traveling. I could give an example. So there was one time I lifted up out of my body, and all of a sudden I just、uh, I, I I commanded myself to go to the door. So I said, "Door now!" Boom! I was at my door, and I and as I flew, as I went, I was as I was at the door, I turned around, and I saw my condo. It was exactly the same. My condo here that I'm sitting in right now is exactly the same. I was like, and I was even reminding myself in the out of body. I'm like, all right, it's the same. I could tell people that I saw the same thing, <laughs> you know. So and then, but is your body the same as it is in the?、Uh, like, is it in? The, so, do you have both hands in the astral world? Are you taller? Are yeah, you know, the same. So,、like、are you translucent? Is your skin color the same? Are you? Yeah, it's funny, but sometimes I don't even think about it. Like honestly, I don't even think about it at all. But I have. I have had instances where it does seem to be that my hand is still the same. For example, I had a OBE two weeks ago. I had two OBEs in one night, and all of a sudden, I was、um, I ended up in this this place that I don't know where, but they were speaking Spanish. It was a really big supermarket, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm here!" You know, I'm in a supermarket, and I don't know if people could see me, so I tapped somebody on the shoulder, and he looked at me, and I was like, "Oh, I can touch people here," <laughs> you know. And I remember one moment, I took money out of my pocket. And I was holding the money with my right hand, and just, I didn't look at my hand. But from what I'm aware, when I hold the money to my chest, is because I can't hold it with my fingers, with my palm. So I didn't look at it, but that could kind of infer that my hand is still the same the way it is now, right? But it's also you're also inferring that you're wearing clothes in your OB because you took money out of your pocket. Yeah, yeah. So I was wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're you're sometimes you can look the same, and sometimes you can look different. Because <laughs> this sounds funny, but I'm 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 pretty much half naked here because it's very hot here in the Philippines, and so I, yeah, I don't right, sleep with、right. many clothes on. So, but that was actually a concern of mine when I first started doing OBEs. I was like, dude, if I'm projecting tonight, I better wear clothes, or people will see me in my underwear. <laughs> you know. But、uh, it's funny, but it's weird. But it's as if it's as if your higher self knows how to like dress you up when you're out. But I remember I I did want to take a look at myself where there was a time when I don't want to mention where this location was because I don't want this person to trip out because it's a person's house that I know. I ended up at this person's house, and like I was there one hundred percent, and I didn't even know I was out of body because it was that clear. So I was like, "What the heck, dude? I is this is this a dream or is this out of body or am I really here?" The only way that I knew that I was out of body is because I put my hand through the wall. And、I was like, "Oh snap! All right, I'm I'm in the out of body state." And then I said, "Let me look at myself in the mirror." 
when I looked in the mirror, I looked exactly the same. Actually, I didn't even have a shirt on the way I am right now. And my hair was messy. And I looked exactly the same. But I've heard other people who astral projected and they saw different things. I'm just speaking from my own personal sure. experience. But when, but you, when you astral projected into somebody's house, you looked like you could reflect light onto yourself. You looked like you were physical enough to... And then when you yeah. projected onto the store, when you could tap somebody in the shoulder. Now, do you have knowledge? And uh, I know we'll get um, get back to some healing stuff in just one second sure. for a fi- couple of final questions. But did you have knowledge in the astral realm that you don't have in the physical? Like, could you, I don't know if you're a native or you can speak Spanish at all. No, 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 no. So when I was there, I was thinking the way I do now. That's why I was like, the only words that I picked up, <laughs> I remember I heard the word nosotros several times. At least twice. I was like, all right, let me... Because I always try to take my astral experiences as like a like a reporter. I don't want to have an explanation like, you know, God said this is means such and such symbol. I just right. want to report. So when I was there, I was like, I don't know where I am. They're speaking Spanish. It could be Spain. It could be Mexico. I don't know. Sure. You know, so I, mean, I was just like trying to... It could be Cleveland. For, yeah, you know. who knows? So um, all I do know is that I heard a lot of Spanish. But it was interesting because when I tried to buy a hot dog from the guy... And I, just, and I changed my mind. The guy spoke to me in Tagalog. And he said, oh, ayomo, that means you don't want? And, and I remember I looked at him like, why did you just speak to me in Tagalog? So that, that, that was also like a weird thing that happened. So you were communicating with somebody in a language you understand. Yeah. Um, and he could, even though you were projecting, he could see you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I was going to buy a hot dog. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so I'd be interested, did you, and you changed your mind about the hot dog, I'd yeah. be interested, can you eat things when you astral project? Of course, yeah. You can, I mean, even when I was in a supermarket, um, I ate something that came in my mouth and it was like super sweet, you know. So, so what people don't realize is that in certain planes of reality, like it's just as physical as it is here. And that's something that I'm trying to challenge, not just the skeptics who don't believe in this stuff at all, but I'm also trying to give a little bit of a challenge and pushback to some of the new age community who think that the afterlife is all about lovey-dovey, light and love. There's no, there's no suffering. There's no um, physicality. We're all just like we could go through walls. No. My experiences have been different, and my friends who also do the same thing, it's been different where there are times where we were able to go through walls and there were times where we weren't able to go through walls or there are people who have habits that are not so good here where when they cross over, they still have those bad habits, you know, whether it's, you know, smoking or, you know, being alcoholics or whatever. And that's, you know, because what I was taught, bro, as a Christian is that you could do whatever the hell you want. Then on your deathbed, if you sincerely believe it, believe it in your heart, you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Boom, your slate's wide clean and you go to heaven. Right. Right. It's like you're just clean because of Jesus is the death of Jesus and stuff. And, you know, these realities are showing me otherwise. And that's why I'm more open to challenging the dogma that I've seen, you know, um, that I was taught because, like that's why I put a lot of responsibility on people now that you got to get your shit together now if you want a good afterlife. Granted, you 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 will see loved ones on the other side, but your consciousness still continues. So like if someone, because when you think about it, right? And I'm not encouraging this at all, but if heaven is such a blissful place for everyone who just dies, you know, who who is religious, and you're depressed and suicidal, why not just kill yourself and just end up. You know, but of course, if someone's suicidal, you'll do your best to say, no, no, life's worth living. But obviously, for the suicidal person, they're thinking, no, it's not, especially in those moments. 
You know well, what I'm that's saying? Why the, that's why the church so long has said that suicide is the gravest sin you exactly. can do. Exactly. Right. And even, I mean, Dante had a special place in hell for the suicides. Yeah. Right. So, like, even to a lot of Catholics and even some Christians, they will see is that, like, it's like almost like an unforgivable place, uh, unforgivable thing that you can do. And so what I'm telling people is that, hey, you know, if our consciousness continues and you're full of anger and hatred and suicide, what you're doing when you die and you cross over is that you're just bringing your problems to another location. You're still going to be you. That's why it's so important to continue to evolve. That's why if this is for up to debate, but that's why there is such a thing as reincarnation to continue to, you know, come back to earth and make different choices that are better because we're continually evolving forever. You know, there's not going to be this one state where like everything's all perfect and done. No, we're we're consciously, we're continually going to be evolving to higher, higher states of consciousness in my understanding. Now, a couple more questions on healing and I know we're going a little bit over time here, but I'm sure. uh, still interested. So do you think that some of that uh, healing or like not necessarily uh, disability, but sickness or things like that, they manifest in the next life for attitudes or feelings that you had in the previous life? Oh, so you're saying what people have now was it was it a consequence of what people had previously in another life? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. So that that, yeah. that kind of idea. That so the um, yeah, there's a possibility. So for example, um, this th- that's why this is up for debate. It's up for conversation. Like, why is my hand born this way? That's one. We could take my personal life, right? So as a Christian, I was taught. You know, God did this so he could heal you one day or, you know, to display his power. Another Christian can say, uh, God did this to teach you a lesson to, you know, don't take things. You know, there's always things that we can speculate. Now, right. when it comes to those who have had like past lives or past life regression or things like that, there's a possibility that I could have lost my arm in a battle. You know what I mean? Like in a war. So there, it's, it's interesting, but people who have had wounds supposedly in their previous lives, they have birthmarks in those exact spots where they've been shot like that. So it's like, it's as if there's some sort of continuity there. You know what I'm saying? And so, sure. the, I mean, that's why, I mean, it's not just physical stuff, but just personality wise. You look at, I mean, you don't have to believe this, but it is something that's interesting. You find kids that are like prodigies where their whole family, they're not musically inclined at all. And this kid's like a stinking prodigy, you know, on the piano. It's like, where the hell did that come from? And so we don't, you know, want to say absolutely, oh, it's just a previous life. They were, they were a Mozart or Beethoven. Who knows? But I'm just saying that it, it should start a conversation that there might be something more to it. And so if somebody is sick or has something that they, um, they're interested in trying out some spiritual help for their illness. What are the first couple suggestions that you would say if you want to try to, uh, if let's say you want to get some spiritual help for your sickness in addition to going to see the doctor or whatever, sure. the doctor's like, well, there's nothing we can really do about it. Okay, yeah. well, maybe I can pray. What would be the first couple of suggestions if somebody's sick and they're looking for some of that spiritual healing? Sure. Um, well, I mean, my advice would be that to change their thinking. And the only way they can do that is to by changing their subconscious mind, right? And so I would encourage a person to do as much research or listen to something to start shifting their their perspective that there might be a possibility for them to get better. Because when someone tells you that you have terminal cancer and there's no hope you're going to die, that, that's, that in and of itself is a placebo, right? Because like you took it by a person of authority, like a doctor, you know? And so it's like... If thoughts are things and our thoughts are able to manifest, 
certain things in our body, such as sicknesses. I mean, that's proven, honestly. You know, like, I mean, I even wrote about that in my, my second book that, you know, when you have negative thoughts, it releases chemicals, you know, negative things into your blood, you know, where your muscles get weaker, you know what I'm saying? But when you think positive thoughts, it, it releases all these other, you know, types of chemicals to your body that makes you more energetic and, you know, healthy. And that's why when you're in love, you're like really, really happy and you can stay up all night. But when you start having fear and you get depressed, um, your, your body starts to reflect that, you know, so from within, so without. And I remember when I had my GERD, having my friends tell me that I'm going to live with this forever. I, I even have a, a very... Um, sad memory of uh, when I found out what GERD was and I, I was looking at a medical book that had an image of what it looks like inside a person's body who has GERD and I remember the moment I saw that photo I put the book down and this is like past midnight bro <laughs> this is when I was living with my parents I put it down and I started running outside because I had so much fear like I have to, I have to exercise oh my gosh like I, I panicked and but the whole time I was exercising and running I was just 100% fear. And like I said, all I did was get worse. No matter what I did, medication, nothing worked. It wasn't until I started having that shift in perspective. And it's different for everybody. What will get you to shift, to start thinking differently, that there might be a possibility for you to get better? I would keep feeding that and, 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 and continue to go in that direction if you want to get better. All right. All right. So where can people find more information about you, Josh, if they want to find your books? Cool. If they want to uh, check out your website and stuff like that so they can learn more a little bit about Josh Tongle and his spiritual journey from <laughs> uh, Christian to skeptic to spiritualist healer and traveler of the astral <laughs> realms, where can they find you? Yeah, you can, you can find it all on my website. It's just my name, joshuatongle.com. Um, my last name is spelled T-O-N-G-O-L. Um, I have a YouTube channel and I've written two books on my journey, one having to do with more of the religious journey and my second book, which is more of like a self-help uh, metaphysical book and talking a lot about self-love where I talk a lot about my struggles with my hand. And um, I also have a podcast just like you, bro. Um, it's called The Flipside. And we're currently doing a series on astral projection and spirituality in the afterlife. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out as well. So yeah. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thanks a lot, bro. So Josh is a pretty interesting guy, and he's had a, a story. I mean, I, I think it's interesting just the whole being born without a hand thing yeah. and confronting that and still having an incredible amount of faith, I think is powerful. Definitely. But you know, when you are born with something that is a, is a challenge right away, and people are promising you um, that, you know, faith can heal, or I mean, that you can really take advantage of somebody. And... I don't think Josh is the kind of guy that took, you know, I think he's didn't get taken advantage of or he had his faith. And, and obviously he's on the other side of uh, it now where he really believes he's helping people and, and trying to help people heal and things. But the inspiration for the song this week comes from the people who might not be so scrupulous. Wendy, you remember Televangelist, don't you? Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, come on. We got, like Jimmy Swaggart <laughs> and Jim Baker. Um <laughs> Oral Roberts, here's my, one of my favorite skits from Saturday Night Live. So Oral Roberts uh, is an Oklahoma preacher, televangelist, and he's got the Oral Roberts University. Okay. And in the late 80s, he does a, a call from his TV. He says, if we do not get a million dollars, he's like, I was, God talked to me and said, if we do not get a million dollars by this date, God will take me home. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. 
So he goes on TV and says that God threatened to kill him unless they get a million dollars. And so Saturday Night Live did a skit. I think Phil Hartman is playing Oral Roberts. I can't remember if it's Phil Hartman or not. But it's Phil Hartman playing Oral Roberts, and they just show uh, the date. And it's the date that, you know, the deadline. And so it's Phil Hartman as Oral Roberts at Oral Roberts University. And all of a sudden, a puff of smoke and a white light appears. And out (laughs) comes Charlton Heston going, do you have the money? Oh, my. And that was one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits. Because I didn't expect it. It was so good. And, like, they got Charlton Heston to appear out of nowhere. That's great. Saying, do you have the money? You know, Moses from Ten Commandments and everything. And I always think about those televangelists. Uh, from the late 80s, who they made so much money and they made outrageous claims. Yeah. And uh, that's what the Sunspot song is about this week. And it's called Miracle Worker. For listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Wendy. Yeah, Mike? Do you have the money? Uh... No, and that's why we need more support from our Patreon community. Yes, that's right. You can become a member of our Patreon community very easily and for not that much. Right, really, I mean, it's as low as a buck a month to, to contribute. And you can also join us in our Hangouts for as low as how much is it to join the Hangouts? Just three bucks. Yeah, so three, $3 a month. You know, the, the Christian Children's Fund or whatever, when they used to try to get money for the kids <laughs> in starving countries, they'd say, for the price of a cup of coffee every day. And that was back in the 80s when the pr- right. price of a cup of coffee was like 30 85 cents. cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but the way that coffee costs now, I mean, I just went to a coffee shop yesterday and paid three fifty for a large coffee. For the so you'd say for the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can you can save you can save the children with the See You on the Other Side podcast. Uh, that's right, and I'm excited, Mike, because I might get the chance to meet another one of our Patreon members on my way home from Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome! So yeah. Wendy's on the Patreon tour. I am on the Patreon tour, and our Patreon members have been really great at suggesting places to go and uh, things to visit while I'm on this big road trip. So uh, thank you, members, and I'm open to suggestions from anyone else, too, but uh, particularly appreciate the things coming in from the Patreon members, and I'm sharing whatever I can with our private Facebook group along the way. Awesome. What a big shout out to Patreon member, Dr. Ned, who's at the level where we give him a shout out in every single episode. So Dr. Thanks, Ned, Ned, thank you very much for your, your contribution and helping the See You on the Other Side podcast and, and keeping everything going. Like like the video we just released for our song about weird state fairs. <laughs> yes. um, we just released the video for the song uh, Life on a Stick. And we did that. You can find that. That's linked now at OtherSidePodcast.com in the State Fair episode. But also uh, the videos, songs every week, podcasts, paranormal travel, going to weird places and sharing that with you guys. It all goes to understanding more about these things, having more fun, creating great more content. And if you guys are interested in that, please check out our Patreon site at OtherSidePodcast.com slash donate. We try to keep the plugs to the end of the show. And it's because of our Patreons that we can do that. That's right. So thank you very much. And thanks to you, listener, for listening. Have a great week. See you on the other side. I've been praying for abs my whole life.